0: Dan, this is um, Big Milestone, number 10. Number 10 already? Bloody hell. Number 10 of stories, life lessons, uh, soccer stuff, travel, Mm -hmm. thoughts on life. Yeah. You know, you're still uh, going with the water bottle tonight. And I am not sure, have I had something from Henderson's yet?
1: I'm not too sure. I used to live quite
0: close to Henderson's, and they've got a lovely little set up there, haven't they? They do good stuff. Tonight is the Henderson Export Stout. I've never seen it before, uh, but I do like my darks, and I don't know where it's being exported to. Uh, I'm guessing from the can to my belly, but... There you go.
1: What percentage is that? Because I always assume it's going to be a high percentage when you put export on there.
0: So by the end of the night, we're going to be having a lot of fun. Um, it just says 7%. That's okay. Well, oh, yeah, Not too bad. Not too bad for a uh,
1: whatever <laughs> night it is. Wednesday night, in it?
0: Yeah, but I'm not working. So we're good. I'm on a few days off. Cheers.
1: Oh, lovely stuff. Well, you know, I've got my water spiked with a little bit of a vitamin D. So I'm going absolutely mental tonight as well.
0: Ooh, look at you, all fancy with your healthiness. Now, I'm so uh,
1: excited to get back on the
0: beer. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's here waiting for you. So I would be remiss if we didn't point out, you know, a couple of our accomplishments. Two five-star ratings out of two on, I, on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I believe we have a regular listener in Belgium, so... I hope everything's okay over there i i do love belgium uh i would like to get back over there um so you know small victories small fist pumps as they say
1: no thank you very very much for listening i know we've got one in uh, a regular in columbus as well and i you know i visited that city when they were doing the save the crew movement to cover that a little bit and i love the place so you know thank you for listening as well and and if any of you want to leave reviews, um please leave five star ones if you don't want to leave a five star one please don't bother
0: yes as as Michael Scott say, you know constructive compliments um that's all we like um, and uh yeah it's it's a little moment to to stop and pause, granted life has paused right now, but we'll uh we'll reminisce for now and hopefully enjoy you know getting back to some some real travels in the future and uh, today we start with me and I get to uh, go back on you know one of my uh, calf adventures.
1: Yeah um, I picked this one out because it's uh, an exotic place I've never been to basically so uh, St. Lucia um... So it was a trip you went uh, for the Canadian national team. Was it the women's or men's?
0: This was the men. This was an Olympic qualifier. I had just recently uh, moved to Toronto from the West Coast. Um, I was still kind of figuring out what the hell I was doing. And then I found I could make a little money traveling on the cheap and for working for a couple different people and uh, and covering the programs. So this was a very, very bare bones kind of travel. And the people who do... Travel for their uh, resorts and vacations, they do tend to go to the south end of the island, where there are the two. They're called Pitons, which are two essentially big rocks that stick out of the water. Um, I did not go through there at all. I went right into the capital. Uh, well, not right into the capital, near the capital of Castries, and uh, the game itself was at the Beau Sejour Cricket Oval in Gros Islet saint lucia um and it's one of several cricket ovals i've covered the canadian team in and it's concacaf calf's got to be the only region where you can say that
1: yeah i mean uh i feel like we should tick off the football first here um you know actually that stadium you've been to has since been named the darren sammy uh stadium i uh, saw that, that. Who was yeah, a bit of a west indies legend um, i think he captained them at one stage. Uh, you know, he was a big star in the, in the IPL, in the Indian Premier League, as well. So they named, I think, yeah, two thousand sixteen, they renamed that. I mean, it looks scenically like it's in a really beautiful place, but how does it work playing football on a big giant cricket oval?
0: It's you know, they sort of put you're a long way away from the pitch, um, and the stadium itself. I think they sort of selected it based on uh, sort of weather conditions and it's probably there there are mountains around it with some very nice uh houses on it and i think they put it to based on you know with the mountains and everything it's it's most conducive for for good weather and and not really windy days and and good play and um, yeah but it's it's it is the most tranquil walk up to a stadium you will ever have. I mean, I was essentially walking there on training day on game day and it was and it was a very nice walk in the uh in the west indies and And the day before Canada played this World Cup qualifier in two thousand and eleven uh, there was a big cricket scoreboard up there of a previous game between the west indies or the windies or however you call them and pakistan and all the numbers made no sense to me but i'm sure if you were there you'd look up and go ah yes that that looked like a real good game
1: no it's been one of my dreams actually to go uh, go to the west indies and watch a little bit of cricket so i'd been all over that It'd had been just amazing i mean there you know, the stadium itself according to the ever-reliable Wikipedia, says it holds 15,000 people. Um, obviously, by you saying that you, know, you couldn't get very close to the action, obviously they didn't add extra seats, you could get closer to it, you were just very, very far away. Um, but this is, a, you know, it's not a football-loving island. Uh, they love the cricket, there's a bit of sailing that goes on around there. Um, like, were people really bothered about this game?
0: no uh you know i mean mean, this was sort of a whistle stop trip it was a very quick taste of it not a lot of sort of hype for it i was told that the Canadian team they flew into the south end of the island where a lot of the tourists go, and through a kind of meandering i don't know mountainous kind of highway through a forest, there was a you know one of those just sort of generic kind of banners uh you know canada saint lucia world Cup qualifying I think it had kind of half fallen down too so uh there wasn't tons going on attendance wise it was let's just say limited um, but uh yeah there were the there were the uh Couple Canadian contingent. I'm not sure if they were voyageurs or uh, just people out on vacation because it is a, as vacation spots go. Now I'm not someone who just sort of sits and lies on a beach, uh, but uh, I can see the appeal in that where I went. But um, yeah, no, it was um, yeah, it wasn't the. There was no local broadcast of any kind. Um, I was a part of, I guess you could call it the Canadian broadcast, where Max Bell, who was running the comms for the Canada Soccer at the time, put together an audio stream. And I was his, you know, analyst, as he did the commentary. And uh, yeah, I think it's sort of it's almost become an urban legend that that actually happened for a World Cup qualifier in Canada. So it's something that I was proud of anyway. But, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good couple of days of escape, man. But the, at the same time, doing work, trying to put out the best storytelling I can do as a reporter. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't, um, yeah, let's just say it wasn't exactly a, a packed stadium.
1: <laughs> and when you say that is, uh, you know, a lot of people travel to the south, but this game is in the north, how big a distance are we talking about between these two areas?
0: Good question. I mean, it's, 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 it's way up on the, the northern tip of the island, Castries, Uh from sort of viafall further down south where the Piton are. It's... I, you know, I can only guess the drive. I haven't, didn't experience it myself, but it's a, it's a pretty mountainous kind of country and I can only imagine it would be kind of similar to when I was in Dominica and it's a lot of up and down and sideways and you're weaving through mountain passes and um, yeah, but it's, it's a very, you know, green Island. Um, actually the Piton are not fully at the Southwest. They're more sort of south Um but it is still kind of a meandering kind of drive with a lot of you know, lefts and rights. And, uh, but I'm not, not sure the drive. I I believe I was told a couple hours, but, um, yeah, I I never experienced it. I was, I was right in the thick of it right away, enjoying, uh, you know, my, my welcoming rum punch when I got to the the hotel.
1: Yeah. I, I was looking at the pictures of it and it reminds me of, um, I've been lucky enough to go to the Seychelles a couple of times. so It reminds me of the Seychelles, very like a you know, mountain, quite mountainous, uh, lots of trees, a little bit, like, little bit like Jurassic Park, actually, yep. in how it looks, you know, yeah, scenic wise. Um, but I understand that um, Saint lucie has got quite a lot of wealth, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, was, it was sort of a, a crash course in modern geopolitics, and um, it, one thing that I sort of noticed is that there was some kind of trade fair, I think it was, um, and it was, you know, partnership with you know Taiwan and everywhere you go in the Caribbean um there's there's some kind of relationship with either Taiwan or China and depending on who's in power whatever party um, has closer relationships with one or the other
1: yeah I saw that their biggest export from there is oil um so I don't know what kind of dealings they have with the states and stuff like that and that part but I know yeah there does seem to be a lot of wealth. I don't know whether it's uh, you know cheap banking for billions millionaires over there, but obviously a lot of people, both the tourists and you know people who move there are attracted to this you know, absolutely stunning scenery that you're lucky to see from this stadium and on your travels around there.
0: Yeah, I mean it's you could there is certainly a lot of sort of natural wealth or uh, natural, you know, resources and um yeah, I mean they have sort of generally friendly relations with, with everybody and I uh, it uh yeah i mentioned sort of the names grossy and castries or Castries and and there is a, a french background to it um but uh yeah i mean if you know people talk about sort of the the relaxed way of living in the caribbean and uh i i certainly experienced that because i mean i was there in october it was hardly peak tourist season uh but when i you know the day of the game i I sort of sat on this beach right near where I was staying, and it, uh, man, it was relaxing, <laughs> I'll tell you that much.
1: Well, it sounds just absolutely incredible. And, and another thing that, um, you know, when I was reading up on St. Lucia before doing this is um, they speak a version of Creole that is quite similar to the Seychelles as well. Um, did you have a chance to listen into these conversations because, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong and please somebody tweet at us and abuse me if I am wrong, but from my experience of speaking or trying to speak bits of Creole um, in the Seychelles, it's it's almost like a Frenchy-Portuguese mix. Um, In the Seychelles, they also they're big insult. well actually no, it wasn't an insult, it was kind of like a, a, a exclamation if they're surprised by something they'd all go ah oh, lick your mama like that, that was a big uh, big expression over in the seychelles so that doesn't sound like creole it just sounds vile um but also it was interesting i was speaking to a young um, Seychellois kid and i was counting with him because he's only a young lad mm-hmm. and i feel like there was a it was it was, a, it was a, i think he even skipped out like 40 or 50 like that block of 10 numbers and just skips right on to 50 or 60. Hmm. And I was like, no, nah, come on, kid, you've just been a bit daft here, aren't you? <laughs> but um, I think that is just how how counting goes in the Seychelles, and I don't know if that's the same across the Creole language.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not too positive my my few little limits are with there was a a pa announcer i think after each goal canada scored and each the it was a then record seven nil win with Simeon jackson with wow. a hat-trick olivier ocean with two and ian hume with two and it was funny i think this was the time where after each goal they're just like come on guys essentially come on guys let's cheer on our team and i'm like you've just given up another goal so there was it was very rapid kind of dialogue that I had to stop and think my other interaction with the person was one of the days when I was just walking to the training or to the stadium. This would have been on, on Canada's training day. Um, man's walking by me and you know you would say he had the the kind of rastafarian look he had the the big dreads and all this and he he asks how i'm doing i say well how are you and literally in the time we have sort of walking past each other it sounds like he's having a great conversation it's not with me but he's going on about life and all this and i'm just thinking okay Cool, man. But he's talking very quickly, and the other kind of thing—I don't know, obviously what this means in terms of you know dialect and that. But I look at the front page of the newspaper when I just went to a, a store, and the, each headline of each story had an exclamation mark at the end of it. And I went, "Ooh, must be very exciting news going on here." <laughs> <laughs> and um,
1: you know, as a you no, know, an island, I assume the cuisine. Hopefully, you got a good chance to have a go. I assume a lot of it's fish, that kind of base.
0: It is. There's a lot of stuff with, with fish. When there's a, you know, a lot of deep fried stuff, a lot of soups. I've, I've been racking my brain in the run up to this, trying to remember what I ate and I can't, and it's killing me because I mean, this was nine years ago. Um, but I, I I don't know what that says about a place when I can't remember what I ate. There are a lot of places where things <laughs> stand out in my memory. You know, I mean Panama was about a, a year later the first time, and I re- I'll, will always remember my sancocho that I had with with Kurt Larson. But I cannot think of what I had. But yeah, I mean I sort of did look and at what you know, what there is. And yeah, a lot of it is, is kind of seafood based. There's a lot of chicken. Um, they they're deep fried things. There are, you know, soups as well. But the thing I only remember is that, Oh, when you check in, you get your free rum punch and I'll sign out that, that there was actually another journalist on this trip, a guy named uh, Richard Poplack, who is now back in South Africa. He was writing a piece for the walrus at the time. And, uh, it was very, very nice guy. We got along very well. And, you know, as my parents met in Nigeria. They had my brother in Zimbabwe. We chatted quite a bit about, you know, Africa and Zimbabwe and the ANC in South, South Africa. Uh, he's a cycling fan. So we talked about cycling as well. Um, so I always, as I always like to do, I like to shout out the other journalists who are on my trip and that one was Richard. And, um, anyway, I've seen him a couple times since he's, since he's moved back away, but he was a, a very nice one, but yet for the life of me, the food coming back to it. I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> maybe it's because I was just essentially doing it as cheaply as possible, so I was going to the nearest, you know, grocery store and just sort of getting what I can, but uh, yikes. It's Or maybe I'm just getting old. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah,
1: you. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say a lot about the cuisine if you can't remember it. I mean, uh, unless uh, unless it was really bad and you just wanted to banish it from your brain and your uh, successfully
0: did so. Well, that's it. I want to do it justice. So if anyone from the St. Lucia Tourist Authority wants to bring me back and give me the full experience, I I am fully on board with that. Um, but I, I honestly just think I was, I was being as cheaply, cheap as possible and where I was there wasn't much i mean there were a couple of sort of isolated resorts not isolated but there were resorts and they all had their own things i was staying in a little modest hotel that had access to this very nice beach in gro gro groilet a and uh, i mean that's just what i remember most what was the beach called reduit r e d u i t beach and i think i had it to myself and uh, yeah it was you know my my pasty little feet got uh, quite the toasting that day
1: Gav, I know we kind of like you know brush over the sporting aspects at times on this, but um I just want to kind of you know, prod you a little bit more on that stadium because you know just the pictures of it look beautiful like the views you get from there the um you know I look even a bird 's eye view' it's just greenery around everywhere the houses look really interesting i mean what are the unique aspects of you know sitting in a stadium and seeing that beautiful scenery, but also you know covering it, you know watching a match there. Like what what set it apart from everywhere else you've been to before?
0: Well, it was it was funny because on the training day, I get to the field and and there were no goals. You know, you'd think it's an important part of the game. And uh, as it turns out, like the goals they had there were not FIFA standards. So Canada was training with essentially like two smaller goals side by side. Um, and I just imagined, you know, someone in a, in a welding shop somewhere <laughs> sort of torch, you know, blowtorching another <laughs> uh, new new goals that fit the correct parameters. But um I got to you walking around the stadium, you know, it's, it's a very kind of generic stadium. It's quite nice. It's a cricket oval, obviously, as we've mentioned, but I got to go up sort of along press row and go to where the, the cricket press box is. And it was kind of cool that there were still, you know, BBC signs on the door and, uh, from the previous game. So obviously there was some coverage of whatever the West Indies were playing against Pakistan. And, um, yeah, when we when we called the game, um we were up sort of in like sort of a crow's nest. So it wasn't the the nicest seating in the world. We didn't get the the official press box. Um but there was me, Max and Richard sort of shoehorned in together and the the Wi-Fi stories when I cover the Canadian team in Central American and the Caribbean are always, you know, little adventures in themselves. And this was before the days I had my little portable Wi-Fi. And, you know, my biggest dread is going in and, and going, OK, there's there's no Wi-Fi. Fortunately, this one, this the stadium is right across the street from the National Tennis Center. And as you can imagine, there's a there's a St. Lucian flag and a, I believe a Taiwanese flag because they helped finance the project um, as part of that you know, codependent relationship or whatever it is. Um, Anyway, I I sort of open up my computer and I'm like, I I couldn't test the day before because I couldn't see anything. But um, I look on the, the Wi-Fi signals and it was like National Tennis Center, like one bar and it was unprotected. And it was the happiest day of my life just because I knew <laughs> I had Wi Fi. I could duck out and file if I wanted to. And, uh, yeah. Oh, it, now that I think of it, when I mentioned we were sort of shoehorned in there, Jerry Dobson was also there. Sportsnet sent him down, but they didn't have him calling the game. He just went for the game. And, uh, Oh, I just remember that right now. That's, yeah, it's hilarious that Jerry was also up there. And, uh, I mean, that was only sort of, obviously haven't spoken to him in years, but, um, that was sort of when I was just getting to know him and it was, uh. Oh, yeah, that was fun. Anyway, uh, yeah, the stadium, uh, the pitch was nice. There was the, I think it was hard. I think the grass was very short. And then there was the little strip for bowling sort of right in the middle so to sort of throw things off. So it was, I think it was it was a challenge if you were actually playing on it. It looked quite nice, though, but I wasn't the one playing on it.
1: <laughs> well, so, hang on, they were like actually playing on... You know, where the wicket is and stuff like this. They're yeah. actually
0: playing you know Oh, It wow. was right, right in the middle of the cricket oval. That's why the, the like it was you were so far away. But the the pitch itself was sort of shoehorned, not shoehorned in because there was so much room, but it was almost at like this angle to make it fit with everything. And yeah, so I mean I've covered Canada at a cricket oval there in Dominica. And in, uh, what is it, Lauder Hill Lakes near Fort Lauderdale when Canada played Trinidad in a friendly. So, yeah, it was right in the middle of the the cricket pitch. So, yeah, the the, where the wickets and bowling, like, they cover it up with something. Um, I'm not sure what they do. But, uh, yeah, it was there.
1: Well, out of all the trips that we've discussed, this might be... My, my peak jealousy I'm feeling right now just because <laughs> of the, the scenics because of the obscurity of it all, because it, you know, just because it's such an incredibly unique setting to watch a game, a, a place where it really doesn't care about football, but there's a kind of like fairly important event going on there, like it's just <laughs> a real unique setting and unique situation you're able to experience.
0: If, if I'll help you cure you of the jealousy, here's this uh, I flew back And I connected in, I believe I went through Puerto Rico and then up to JFK in New York. And I had to sleep in the airport. I booked a flight that was the next morning, uh, so connecting, and uh, I did not have the want or the, or the you know, desire to uh, leave the airport and come back in. So I slept in terminal whatever on the floor at JFK. So it wasn't all glamour. Um, but yeah, in terms of sort of times I've covered the team, this was certainly the most relaxing. Um, and I remember I was, I was working for CP at the time, and um, is, I learned a valuable lesson on this when I was working. Neil Davidson was the editor-in-chief at the time, and I file a draft in and he's like you're there tell us more about co- the color what it's like and so i got sort of the chance to sort of be like oh good i have a ch- you know i have a chance to sort of say what it's what it's like here and it was you know october is still hurricane season and uh, so you know there was always the chance for storms to move quickly in and out but oh man it was it was pretty pristine and you could tempt me back there. Maybe not to the where the tourist resorts and where the cruise ships go down by the, the Piton. I think it's called Soufrière. Uh, but up there, it, it felt much more laid back, felt like you had your space. And like I said, I had a beach to myself in the middle of October, so I was having a good time. But yes, the trip home sort of killed all the relaxation I had. Uh, and I think on my way home, I think I stopped at the stadium because Canada was already training for their next World Cup qualifier, so I had to stop by and just see what was going on. Anyway, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was a good relaxing time.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. No, I'm, I'm glad I picked this one out for sure, and, you know, when I want to you know eventually go and watch some cricket in the Caribbean, maybe mm-hmm. this will be top of the list now.
0: Yeah, it's a good one. You can get, yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, You know, obviously the cricket's big and, you know, get there when maybe there is some soccer that, you know, people may not be worried about, but it'll be a nice uh, relaxing time. On another note, should we move over to your topic? Yeah. Yeah. Right then. Let's do it. And now the so St. Lucia to a saint of another variety, that being St. James's Park in Newcastle in England. So Dan set that one up uh, because, you know it's uh it, it's quite a big ground there it's it's a big it's it's all there is to do in newcastle i'm told i'm kidding obviously but uh, yeah set us up
1: well it was um you know a trip back home it was a fairly recent one it was just after christmas in 2017 um so it's a trip back home went back with the missus um this is pre-kids so we didn't have any responsibilities we were free and happy um, so uh so we we uh, arranged to go doing this away trip um, with a, you know my best mate back home and his missus um, you know just thought oh, let's let's try and do something together. So we did a uh, Newcastle away. Um, it had been on my radar for a while. I'd heard it was you know a particularly brilliant city. I hadn't been there before, which was just crazy. And uh, so yeah, we we stayed uh, my friend's. The uh, he lived in uh, Cheshire, just a little bit south of Manchester. Stayed at his the night before. Got up early the next day and. Uh, off we went, and um, it's, it's actually quite an interesting drive up there because you go, uh, you go up the, the M1, and um, sorry, sorry, yeah and you, you go and you go past this, there's this one house in the middle of the motorway there, I think it's in Yorkshire, because I think they were building a motorway, and this, you know, this old, old fuddy-duddy said, no, I'm not moving my house anywhere, <laughs> so they just basically put the two lanes around this house, which so, is amazing,
0: so that's always... Wait, have you ever read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No. Oh, what's that like the beginning of the book where they want to knock his house down to make a bypass and he refuses and he like lies in front of a bulldozer. That is hilarious. And then, of course, the world, they need to destroy it to build a hyperspace bypass. Anyway, I'm getting far too nerdy, but you've just described like the beginning of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm telling you right now it's a true story because it's right there. I don't know if somebody still lives in the house. But there is still a house there; it's still intact, and you drive right past it yeah, but, but there. But no, two lanes going opposite ways in the motorway, just <laughs> basically just part around it. and It's right there, so you go past that one, um, and then you get you go up to, um, and then as you coming in, you're going up the uh, up the A1 um, in, into Newcastle. But before you just go past Gateshead, and that's when you see the Angel of the North, um, which is a sculpture done by Anthony Gormley. Um, I have to say, it I it was so much better than i thought it would be um you know it, it kind of looks a little bit basic it's just kind of like a yeah a big giant you know steel sculpture with some big wings on it but it's quite breathtaking when you're there the sheer scale of it i mean the, the wings themselves are 54 meters across they kind of like bend forward a little bit as if to give you a bit of an embrace to you know welcome you to the you know the very north of england and uh it's a really good, uh, you know, to whet your appetite for going into Newcastle. So, we you know, we stopped off and saw that for a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, and then off we went to go and uh, find our hotel in Newcastle. Uh,
0: and, and so as Newcastle away, who was playing? Uh,
1: Manchester City. Oh, right, um, of course. It was, uh, yeah, it was the, during the 100-point season. Um, so it, my friend was actually really excited. Um, you know, his main football team has always been Shrewsbury Town. Um, but he he does take a huge interest in Premier League, and he was just really excited to see a little bit of history because you know this City team were, you know, massively ahead of second place Man United at the time. They were, I think, that they will go down in history as one of the best Premier League teams has been. Um, so he was really really excited to see that as well. So um, yeah, it was a City away day. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it, 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 it wasn't like we're going with, the, uh, you know, with all the gaggle with all the mad men. You know, it was just the four of us. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we still stopped you know, a fair few beers going sour that day.
0: Now, we, we, we've spoken a few times about how, you know, the small town clubs are really sort of pillars of, of the community, sort of focal points of smaller communities. Now, I've heard that, that the Toon Army, the Toon, uh, in the Ge- Newcastle United, is a big central part of the city. For Such a big club, this is it. I think it's the same for a lot of the northeast, really. Um,
1: because yeah, in Newcastle, it's um, you know, it's right bang in the center of St. James's Park, almost looms over the rest of the city, it's very much its centerpiece. Um, and you know, it's all people talk about, it's all the city moves around for. And but you know, as I said, you go around the northeast, I mean, with Middlesbrough, I know that when the uh, Red Car Steel Works closed and around 3,000 people lost their jobs a few years ago nobody in the rest of England knew about that but you know Middlesbrough Football Club were opening up their doors and holding job fairs and trying to get their uh, you know people, people in the local area jobs and no. you know anybody who's watched Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix will know the affinity uh, that the whole city has with that club and you know how you know Father Mark who actually I know because I've interviewed him before is a local priest there and uh, A lot of his um, sermons on on a weekend or on Sunday are uh, basically saying prayer for the football club. And and they're (laughs) they're not doing it for a laugh. Like, this is genuine. Like, these places (laughs) revolve around it. And, you know, and and as as we said about the small towns before, it's the same for these cities in the northeast because, you know, there's a lot of animosity between the north and south right now in England, even more than usual, because I think the north's been very much left out and kind of forgotten about and underfunded during this coronavirus pandemic and no more, no that's no more, probably at it's most extreme when you go to northeast places like Newcastle maybe if you go across as well to Carlisle these places are completely forgotten about so mm-hmm. to have a good football team in places like Newcastle, Sunderland and Middlesbrough is absolutely everything, it's, put, it's what puts them on the map, it's what keeps them in the news and what's, what makes people aware of their town so yeah, Newcastle, no, is prob- no. You can probably put Leeds United in this as well, where it's just one of those special cities where it's a one club city, and everything revolves around that team. It's a real community feel still exists there.
0: It's one thing that that I've wondered because my my travels in the UK have been limited compared to other places. Just essentially, really been London. I've been to Brighton a few times, and I've been to New Haven, all on the south coast, and for for a new player that gets brought in from, you know, whether it's a third world country or, or another country from, from the other corner of the world, what do you think goes through their mind when they sort of show up in the Northeast of England in in a completely different world?
1: I know. I think some people embrace it. Like I know we talked about Nobby Solano, the Peruvian um, on here before. Um, he really embraced it. He absolutely loved it. Whereas I think some people absolutely hate it because it's cold it's rainy, um, but like those players that do embrace, come from overseas or you know you know come from come from Europe or wherever, and they do embrace it. They just get loved even more, and that's why somebody like Solano was so loved. And you know, if I took it from a Manchester City perspective, it's why somebody like you know Pablo Zabaleta um, is so loved because you know he came from Argentina, you um, know we had had a family over there, I was extremely proud there from Manchester, and used to go to the local chippy and stuff like that. So. You know, I think when, you know, it's just like an extra part of their kind of hometown pride is when somebody comes in and they absolutely love it, they are just made up. And I have to say, um, I was in awe of Newcastle. I thought it was a beautiful place and the people were just fantastic.
0: And as and as brown ales go, Newcastle is pretty good. It is a pretty good
1: beer. <laughs> um, and, you know, a lot, a, a lot of this was... Uh, you no, know, based around having a drink and going to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we checked into, uh, funnily enough, I think it just changed hands and it we just became an EasyJet hotel. well uh, <laughs> we just stay, the one we stayed in, and honestly, like,
0: was it all orange?
1: Thankfully not, but I feel like the rebrand it might be orange by now. <laughs> but oh god, imagine trying to sleep in that bright orange. Oh, just <laughs> horrid. But you know, it was you no know, as you'd expect. Um, very economy you know kind of uh, <laughs> stuff I mean as for the curtains there, there, there's no point in them having there you know you may as well just use like I don't know like a Beatles fishnets to hang around the curtain rails because it just wasn't doing anything and um, actually I remember there being a um, there was like we stayed there in December um, late December and I remember there was like an offer there saying you know, come here for Valentine's Day weekend come here and you know bring your special one here and first of all you're thinking like how are you going to convince the missus to say, Oh, I've got us a special hotel for the weekend? <laughs> oh, brilliant. Where we say, Oh, easy jet hotel. But then on top, but on, on top of that, I feel like the package for a Valentine's um, like stay over was like an extra £30 a night or something like that. And I'm pretty sure all you got extra was, an, was, an, was a blanket. And um a Terry's chocolate orange like honestly it it was it was very very uh, low brow and hey. yeah as i say i i, I can't imagine how some uh, some loved ones uh reacted it, when they found out they were staying in the Eastjet hotel
0: the fact that they're together is what matters most dan yeah yeah, that is
1: very very <laughs> true, um but it was you know right in the center of the town um so I think we had a, I think we were a bit early there before check out, check in time, so we went to like the local brew dog, um, which are a little bit of a you know chain brewery, very popular in pretty much in every UK city nowadays. Um, but you can you know guarantee yourself a decent bit of food and a decent pint. Um, so we we stopped off there before we could check in, dropped off our bags and you know off we went really, and we I think we went to a place called the Crown a few doors down first and. You know, it's just beautiful, you know, stained windows, a really old school pub, um, just tiles everywhere. Great local pours, uh, you know, great local, you know, real ale, you know, served at proper temperature, like 15 degrees, Gav, you know, that proper stuff. Nice. Um, so, you know, we went to places like that. I remember going to a place called the Tyne Bar, which was um, a bit livelier. Um, it was by the river. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it just good beer. Great people. Um, you know, it's honestly like if, if I had to move back to the UK, and I use the word had because I don't want to move into that political <laughs> mess right now.
0: Um,
1: if I had to, Newcastle would be a place I would consider if it was a little bit closer to my family.
0: Now, uh, you, you, it sounds like you went to a number of pubs. Was, it, uh, was the food, as, as you know Gordon Ramsay would say, good, simple, rustic pub food?
1: It was. Uh, we, we certainly went basic with our food. I think I saved a little bit of room so I could have a football pie because you got to have a football pie, right? Of course.
0: The chicken um, balti but, is my but, go-to.
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, we had um, we had like a, a late night, you know. Uh, Take no, I actually had a meal in. We actually went for an for an Indian um, at the end of the game, and they, again, you know, it was an Indian restaurant. The locals were great. It was just. Uh, know just such strong geordie accents the geordie (laughs) accent is just beautiful i love it and uh and and yeah but it was just basic fare i think we had a bit of a pizza at brew dog i think you know we had a bit of a curry we had we had a pie it was unhealthy stuff it was about having a drink and you know seeing this city that none of us had been to before and um you know i expected it to be good because i heard good things about it before but (laughs) i was just blown away by this like Neoclassical and Victorian architecture is very quite grand in some places, really, really beautiful. Um, the Tyne, uh, just how it flows through it, the lights over it, the Millennium Bridge, and all this kind of stuff. It's just really a, a nice mixture of some modern but plenty of historic stuff there. And it's, it's kind of like although everyone knows Newcastle, and a lot of that is because of the football club, I don't think people know how great Newcastle is and just how great the people are and just how nice that city is.
0: Well, thats I was just going to say I had never, ever thought about actually going to it as a city, but uh, you're giving me some second thoughts here. If I may, just once uh, one thing that baffles me about you English uh, is when you say, I had an Indian or I had a Chinese, and it's like, wait, what now? I always do a double take when I hear it. <laughs> <laughs> why what would you what would you say we went for chinese food or went for chinese we don't say i had a chinese and it's like person like what's going on
1: yeah i have to admit the way you do it is a lot more sophisticated than the way i
0: do it <laughs> well you see it in ads in the uk too uh where it says and it's sort of like if you're from north america you go I don't know what's being said there. I'm confused and a little worried at the same time. Uh, We would be remiss if we uh, didn't point out, you know, we are in Canada and uh, we, uh, most of our listeners so far are Canadian. Current Canadian men's national team head coach and former women's head coach, John Herdman, is from Newcastle and he's a proud Toon Army member. Did you know, Dan, that John Herdman has a brother? He has a brother? He has a brother martin very nice guy he's also a coach, but anyway, I've met him a few times and we've traded the occasional message but very nice guy but there's uh, a fun fact for you extra extra herdman extra Jordy, all that stuff and oh yeah Bob, the other thing I have to ask you about have you ever seen goal I'm
1: going to shock you here after last week's uh, or where, it wasn't even was it last week I don't know when we last recorded the podcast but <laughs> after that revelation of me you know knocking booze on their head for a month i've never seen the goal movie and i know there's probably about 16 of them um, <laughs> and they're so, all horrible so so, so so what i would like to do is like i know our listeners won't mind if you could just give me a uh you know a detailed run through of what happens in the goal movies that would be much appreciated gavin i'm sure the listeners uh, okay listen I've, I've, all o- of this. I've
0: only seen the first one and on a plane and i think i got a passing fascination of the second one um this kid in the U S who I think is a Mexican uh, migrant or whatever. His dad works, you know, quote unquote, illegally. Uh, He's a good soccer player gets spotted by some agent gets brought over to Newcastle where he has a trial and somehow there are all these separate misfortunes that keep like knocking him down. And each time the club is like, we'll give you a second chance. And it's like, That's not how it's supposed to happen, but anyway, uh, his dad is back home. I'm not sure his dad wanted him to leave. I've seen it was many years ago that I saw this movie. Eventually, he gets to the point where he gets into the first team for Newcastle, and he scores a goal. And it's a big moment. In the second movie, he gets transferred to Real Madrid. Was it Real Madrid? Yeah. Because they in the second movie, they did the swap where Michael Owen comes to Newcastle and he goes to Real Madrid. They cleverly fit that in. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's like this weird thing where he's in the youth team and there's one of the more senior players who doesn't like him and kind of bullies him. And then they become buddies. But yeah, it's like, oh no, some guy stepped on his asthma puffer. And then it's like, oh... You should give him a second chance. And he keeps getting all these chances, and eventually it pays off. And for some reason, Brian Johnston of ACDC is in it, and he watches it with the kid's dad in the U.S. Um, that's a long way of saying it, but in the end, his dad dies, I think. But before he dies, the guy founds out, finds out that his dad saw him score his goal for Newcastle. The end i think oh
1: that's that's quite nice that's quite nice and i certainly hope his move to from newcastle to real madrid went a lot better than jonathan woodgates did but (laughs) that's a whole different story for another day
0: exactly well yeah then they then they i think yeah remember there's like there are real players like in the second movie there are most of the arsenal players i'm like oh i know that guy and then there's some like random badass guy who plays for us and i'm like you're not a real guy you're just a villain put in there anyway um yeah, it's, I, I saw it on a plane, I didn't pay close attention to it, and literally I did the double take where I'm like, that's Brian Johnston from ACDC.
1: Yeah, I, um, I would not recognize him, I would not know who he is, but I know, uh, you know, I, I learned something about ACDC, is the Aussies call him Akadaka, don't they? Really, do they?
0: Yeah, I think well, that's a
1: bit of a nickname for him,
0: Akadaka, mate. I believe that is how you properly say the lightning bolt. Oh is it? I'm kidding. <laughs> the AC oh, my the lightning word. the lightning bolt in the AC DC logo. You make it Akadaka. <laughs> Ak-
1: akadaka.
0: <laughs> but that's the movie.
1: Uh, there we go. Thank you very, very much for going through that, oh. Gav. I still think I might watch it. So 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 Newcastle got claim to the fella from A C D C and Sunderland have got claim to uh, Sting, who is another artist who I intensely dislike
0: oh dear sting yeah yeah anyway <laughs> yeah let's move on oh yeah man city away you said the hundred point season yeah i should get to the most important part well what happened
1: uh the like the, the away end at newcastle is notorious because it's up 14 flights of stairs um there's no lift so you just have to go up there you just have to walk it so it's quite funny because you go up there and there's these, you know, these big fellas going up there. They're, they're blowing chunks. They're having to have a rest, a few flights up and stuff. And when you get up there, I mean, it must do an absolute, you know, they must make a killing on the bar there because you know all these big, you know, big blokes sweating with their red faces after going up four flights of stairs, just <laughs> down in the Newcastle Brown. It's it, it's quite the sight. Um, I think, you know, away days. Uh, basically the only experience now you can have in Premier League to get a good atmosphere. Um, you know, Most Premier League grounds are pretty bad, but if you're in the away end, it's superb. And I think this one was particularly special because it was a couple of days after Christmas, a lot of people had the time off work, it was an evening match, and the concourse was just a riot. That was better than <laughs> the game. The game was like a 1-0 win, Raheem Sterling scored. It was like kind of picked out for ages as being like a sign of no Premier League being bad because it was one team just defending for their lives against a better team. But being in a concourse was just incredible. People holding their beers in the air, singing songs, making up funny songs often at you know Man United and Mourinho's expense. It was just an absolute riot. And you know, I just love away days and you know, whenever I go there, I prefer not to go to the Etihad Stadium now because I just find it a little bit quiet. Um, I still love going there; like it's a good experience. You know, it's a lovely opportunities go with, go with my family and stuff. But the away day, you can't be. It's where you're getting the hardcore fans. It's where you're going to be able to go to places you might not often visit. Um, and you no, know, Newcastle was particularly special because you know my ears were ringing, my voice was hoarse, and we were all very, very drunk at the end of
0: the night. <laughs> so it's a perfect soccer trip then.
1: It was a perfect away day,
0: yeah. Well, there you go. And that, let's just say that, that's 10. We're done 10, Dan. I think we have a few more ahead of us as well. And I think we can bankroll a few more before, you know, we're allowed to actually go away again.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think maybe we should get one or two guests on soon. Um, yes. I know we've got a few in the pipeline. Um, so yeah um, you know, everyone keep on listening in because I think we're gonna have some really really interesting places talked about soon by uh, some fresh voices
0: and prove that you listened like listen share feedback questions comments all of it until next time that's Dan Rouse I'm Gavin Day and that is number 10 newspapers on seats as we explore travel in the world through soccer so long everybody